Welcome, listeners, to the latest and belated episode of Out of Left Field Podcast. We are podcasting from the Gulag Archipelago of Soviet Kanakistan, otherwise known as beautiful Vancouver Island. Uh, we are podcasting from our second quarantine. I hope everyone's having a, a safe and sound uh, quarantine time. Uh, with me, as always, is uh, my co-host, Mac. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yep. hello. <laughs> and Anthony. Hello. And uh, just a brief thanks to uh, all our patrons and uh, a quick note that we're also part of the newly formed Harbinger Media Network of Canadian left-wing political podcasts, which you can find at harbingermedianetwork.com. So be sure to check those out. Apologies for the delay in this episode. Um, anyway, how's... Uh, How's everyone's second British Columbian quarantine going for you? I didn't really notice that it had happened. Uh, I, I uh, yeah, I mean, I've been going to the bars, so well, it's not much of a quarantine, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit funny that if I wanted to have three friends over to hang out, I wouldn't be allowed to do that. But if I wanted to meet three friends at a bar, that's perfectly okay. Well one of them is economically necessary and important and one of them is just you know a fun time yeah you got to see if you can apply for a private liquor license for your own premises to sell your guests liquor that way you're extracting a profit from them and you should be able to squeeze in through that loophole yeah well given how the city of victoria treats liquor licenses i'm not going to hold my breath on that one but that's a good idea <laughs> god forbid if you have a patio boy <laughs> yeah, so uh, today we're going to be talking, obviously, about uh, the, the recent happenings with uh, <laughs> fucking Rona, uh, but also... Worst uh, sequel the... ever, by the way. Yes, anyway. big time. Uh, and the uh, American election that, uh, Mac, you, you astutely pointed out before we started recording <laughs> that you were... Worst sequel <laughs> ever, by the way. Sorry. <laughs> Mac, you were, you were totally oh, right on. about that. I was absolutely right about that. And I'm not going to let that go. The fact that I was actually right about this one uh, and most of the other ones I was wrong about. But that will ignore that for the moment. Most Marxists um, don't have. But a yeah, I, I was like this one. I, I I did, and I was like, yeah, Joe Biden's going to win, and everyone's like, but what about the coup? What about uh, Donald Trump not caring about democratic norms? And I'm like, I don't think it's going to matter. He's going to lose. He's going to lose by enough in enough states that like whatever dumb shit he's going to try to pull, it won't matter. And it turned out I was kind of right. I mean, he'll he still did it, I guess. Still doing it, I don't know. I assume court cases are still ongoing and will be for the next 10 years, but uh, <laughs> uh, it appears, unless you're, you know, some of the fans of Donald Trump that Joe Biden won, but who knows, maybe he can pull it up, pull it back with a recount. We'll see. <laughs> no, but it was so fucking stupid the whole night and the whole week, month. How long has the election been going on for now? I don't know. I, it, it's They don't ever end. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I actually kind of like the idea that the election, like the recounts and court cases and runoffs kind of just extend for month after month after month, because that means that the uh, primary elections for the next presidential election have to be delayed until this election is totally officially over. So it's nice to not have people in the news talking about who's going to run in 2024 because there's still stuff to talk about with this election for some reason. It's a nice <laughs> reprieve. <laughs> yeah, that is a, a weird silver lining. Um, and, you know, I have to say, I've been um, I've been periodically going to, um, for, for those of you that aren't aware, uh, there's a website called thedonald.win, which is where all of the, the refugees from the Donald subreddit went after it was banned. And it is as much of a cesspool as you would expect it to be. Uh, but it's, yeah, <laughs> but bad. they, they are like enthusiastically convinced that the Democrats cheated and that Trump actually won. Like they, they, they legit believe that. And, um, you know, 
it's still kind of up in the air about what's going to happen with that sentiment because, you know, these typically very well-armed, very angry chuds <laughs> think that they were cheated out of the presidency. And once uh, Joe Biden is inaugurated, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, there there could be some shit to go down still. I don't know. I, I, I get the feeling that a lot of them are just paper tigers and they're just going to fold and just whine on the internet about it. But you know, they, they they passionately think that the Democrats cheated and that there was fraud, like widespread fraud, because fucking Donald Trump has been saying that. Um, I don't know. What are you, what are you guys' thoughts on that? I don't know. I think, I think a lot of these people that you're talking about are only marginally competent. I mean, we're talking about the same crowd that thinks that Bill Clinton fucking molests children at the back of pizza parlors or whatever. So, you know, I, I don't really put a lot of stock in them. I think what you're going to see happen with that crowd is given a little bit more time, perhaps the same thing that you've already seen happen with the Republican Party, which is that uh, a lot of those who previously supported Trump or those that barely accepted him uh, simply don't care enough to to bail him out or, or to continue to lend him any kind of support. Trump's going to flail to kind of do whatever he can to save his own skin in his last days in office. I think... I think Biden's to be inaugurated on the 20th of January. You can check if I have that right. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I don't I don't really expect I'm kind of leaning towards uh, Max conclusion here, although forgive me, Mac, and please feel free to weigh in if I'm taking your conclusion further than you intended. But uh, I don't I think this one's going to go out with a whimper, not a bang. Yeah, I think the problem is, is that these guys, I mean, for years, okay, so back in, uh, when was it, 2016, right, Donald Trump actually represented a a minority, Donald Trump actually represented a minority opinion amongst the American capitalists. And because of that, he had their support, and the people who sort of glommed onto that loved the fact that there was a portion of the establishment that was agreeing with them about everything that's wrong with America for once and generally sort of feeding into their paranoias and stupidity, but also from a position of like, you know, uh, of power and authority and legitimacy. And in this election, there is no segment of the capitalists in America that Donald Trump really got on his side. They all went over to Joe Biden uh, and you can see that pretty clearly in how the, how much money was spent and how much of that money was like from huge donors. The fact that Joe Biden's campaign didn't need any individual donors at all and could have easily won this election anyway, I think says it pretty well. And the problem for these guys is that they got so used to this. I mean, the the people the Donald Win Ru with them is that they. I don't think they really understood just why it was that people cared, cared, like why people were listening to them now wasn't simply because they were sort of more important, like a, like a Steve Bannon thought, like they, you know, their time had finally come. It's that because there was a segment of, of, of the, the ruling class in America that really agreed with Donald Trump to a certain extent and thought his ideas would work. Uh, they were willing to puff up these fringe scumbags. And now they've now that same group of important wealthy people have basically just taken all of the air out of their tires and they're just sitting on the side of the road wondering what the fuck happened. And I don't think they're actually, I don't think they have any idea of why that happened. And so I don't think they actually have any real, uh, notion of what to do about it. I don't think they're going to say start a civil war or even an armed uprising. They probably aren't even going to do very much at all, to be honest. Uh, they're probably, I mean, there'll probably be protests and, and stuff when uh, Joe Biden's, you know, inaugurated, but I think they will be pretty small. Uh, uh, th that doesn't mean the sentiment, the right wing stuff is just going to go away though. Uh, I do think that given that we're, you know, given that America's heading into the worst uh, economic crisis that it's ever faced, uh, there's a really good chance that Joe Biden, the unity candidate for American capital, uh, is going to be sort of lumped all of the all of the horrible economic shit that's coming down the road. He's going to be blamed for and quite possibly someone even more uh, worse than Donald Trump will in that context be able to sort of uh, 
convince another, another layer of the capitalists to, you know, try something new again. You know, maybe we need a more extreme right wing guy again. I think you're totally right. And I would just add on to that, that, you know, the fact that a lot of Republicans are throwing Trump under the bus right now doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to throw the Trump strategy under the bus, if that makes sense. Because Mac is totally right that a lot of the economic shit that is coming down the pipeline for the Biden administration right now is not going to go away and he's going to get blamed for it. And it is going to, you know, prime the situation in four years time for a potentially even more right leaning candidate. There are going to be those in the Republican Party, I think, who will look back on the Trump presidency as a, a net success. I mean, if you look at um, the shuffling around of the judiciary and the Supreme Court in the country, for example, the nomination of more Republican Supreme Court judges than any other um, than any Republican president in recent memory. I mean, that's that's huge. And so the way that they've been able to kind of shift the balance of power um, by, by those means is is not insignificant. Um, now, I will say that um, and this kind of goes back to the other point that Mac was making about the kind of uh, resistance that you might uh, find in the Republican Party to the to the Biden administration. I mean, I can't see there being a lot of noise being made uh, about this incoming administration or even opposition to it from the other side of the aisle because, you know, it's a fairly obvious point, hardly worth stating, but they represent fundamentally the same economic and class interests as the members of the Republican Party. And those party members can be fairly sure that their interests are still going to be uh, looked after. I mean, what was it? The, some Two of the incoming members of Biden's team at the National Economic Council are uh, former BlackRock uh, executives. So, you know, this, this is just one example. And I think that we'll talk a little bit more about Biden's incoming team um, down the road a little bit. But uh, but yeah, yeah, there's, there's not really... The, the 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 political divide in the United States between Democrat and Republican, it is so much an artifact of the culture war and so little of it is based in actual political and economic reality uh, that I, I don't think you're really going to see um, any firebrands kind of uh, from from across the aisle giving too much heat to the Repub to the to the Democrats. Sorry. During this administration. Well, didn't you hear Trump's going to run again in four years if he can't get these lawsuits to uh, to work for him, which he won't. Um, so he's not going away anytime soon. If he's alive, Christ, <laughs> he's not going to get the presidential treatment for uh, COVID for COVID uh, vaccines anymore. Let me tell you. Yeah, he'll probably get sick again. eh? No, you're, pre you're president in America. You're president for life, right? You get you get special shit forever. Yeah, I guess that's true. You know, I, I did actually watch the, I, I don't know why I subjected myself to this, but I did watch the entirety of the 46 minute long Facebook post that President Trump did where he just brought up every single fucking grievance that he's had over the last oh, four years no. in rapid succession. He was talking about fucking the Robert Mueller investigation and just like, he was just ranting for fucking 45 minutes. I think my IQ dropped three points just from watching that alone but no he's he's not going to ever fucking give this up you know he comes from a family where even just getting sick meant was like an uh was not allowed basically because it meant you were weak and if you're weak then you're a loser and if you're a loser then you're not a winner right um and donald trump has found himself in the situation where he's America's biggest fucking loser right now and his ego just can't handle it and he's acting like a fucking you know five-year-old that lost a, a game of Candyland like he's he's like he can't handle this um so I don't I don't know I mean I think that on January 20th when um uh you know Biden is inaugurated I I think there's very much the the possibility of of maybe some isolated uh incidents will say uh based on you know from from some of these violent right-wing people but you know i i also think that america is going to become ungovernable if it isn't already um because you have um you know vast swaths i mean the fucking coronavirus obviously but the the country's as everyone knows exceedingly divided um and you have there is a recent poll which showed that 40% of Americans are unwilling to take a COVID vaccine 
if it was, you know, made available to them. So I don't really see America getting out of this crisis anytime soon, if ever. Well, we'll see. I mean, I I, I don't know. Polls like that are a bit weird. I I mean, yeah, there's a lot of resistance to it. I don't know if the amount of people who would be resistant to taking a vaccine is like high enough to nullify the effects of it or, or whatever. No, there's sort of the herd immunity ideas around that or whatever. I don't know what it's called when you actually have uh, the vaccine, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it is pretty fucking bad. Eh? <laughs> it's like the, the, the number of American governors who have explicitly said things to think that, that sort of thing of like, you know, I can't tell people what to do because I can't gov- like, I, you know, you can't, I can't govern my state because if I try to do the thing that needs to happen, people won't listen to me. Although I think some of that is a bit um, played up uh, by like the governors themselves don't want to put in mask mandates. They don't want to require people to get vaccinated. They don't want to shut down businesses. And I think a lot of that is really what's propelling people to uh, say, well, you know, obviously it's bullshit. I mean, here in BC, right. I, I, I think I think policies like saying you can't meet your friends at home, but you can totally go to a fucking bar are going to tell people that it actually really isn't that serious. And the government is just playing with people's lives like they're just screwing around with us. They don't like because obviously if, if, if COVID was a serious problem, the bars would be shut down right now. And since they're not, obviously, the government's just using this to troll us, blah, 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 blah. And that is what a lot of the governments in North America have been doing. Those kind of half measures policy, like, you know, non-economic disruption policies that aren't based in science that aren't based in any kind of like rational approach to stopping a virus, but are a kind of halfway house between doing something and doing nothing. And I think it's exactly those kinds of policies that are really propelling, uh, the paranoia and conspiracy theories that more and more people have regarding uh, COVID. Um, and I think in America, that's America's the best example of this, that they've, that every, every single layer of government has done half measures and now no one really can, no one trusts the government. Right. Cause why would you, they're telling you to do things or the, like, you know, they're suggesting their, their suggestions are confusing because if it's as serious as they say, why are they just suggesting it? But they won't tell you to do the right thing because uh, it, it won't, you know, they, they can't, people wouldn't listen to me. You know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just the government. People don't listen to the government. I think there's another side of that there too, Mac, which is an excellent point that you raise, um, which is, you know, on the one hand, it's so, Kind of sad and funny, but mainly just sad because I'm trying to really keep my shot in Florida in check these days. Uh, how Biden has just been reduced to begging and pleading with the American public. I was just listening to Democracy Now! this morning and he's saying, please, just, I'm not even going to tell you that you, you need to take a vaccine, but just wear a mask for the first hundred days of my administration. Not even a full year. It'll be okay if you can just do me this one real sweet favor, you guys, then maybe it'll all be okay. Um, you know, it's really cute, but it doesn't address the underlying reality, which is that a lot of these people are getting sick because they've been forced back to work and they don't have the necessary supports in place to make it so that they do not have to go to work. And so they're still faced, which they have been from the very beginning of this pandemic, with this kind of like uh, rock and a hard place decision where where either I stay at home and die of uh, starvation and getting kicked out of my house because I can't pay rent because I'm not bringing any any money to pay the bills, or I go to work and risk catching COVID. So at a certain point, I, I guess that um, that, recival, that survival response must trickle up into your psyche somehow. Oh God, is that like psychoanalytic trickle up economics don't even don't even read into that too much <laughs> and must filter into your psyche somehow at a certain point you're gonna respond by saying well yeah it must not be that serious and i'm probably going to be okay uh, because to yeah. think anything else is going to drive you insane if if covid were such a bad thing why did the bc ndp government not introduce two weeks sick pay already why didn't they just do that or like months ago? 
Well, obviously, because I mean, if you would ask them, they'd say it's because it's expensive or that they're, they they want to make sure that any plan doesn't overlap with our pre-existing federal unemployment programs, blah, blah, blah. But you don't have to actually care about that if you actually care about stopping the virus. Like what's the, the I, I think one of the real the, the deep problem with the way most of the governments of the world have dealt with this crisis is they're still they're all they, they live in the world of, of, of neoliberal policymaking, which is where a, the government is good when it does as little as possible. Like that is the ideal situation that the, the programs should cost nothing, be revenue neutral, however that works. Uh, and, and the government and government policy is best. It's not that you always have to do nothing, but like the less you do, the better. Uh, there are things you have to do something about. And, there, and the problem with COVID is that early on, if you do a lot when you didn't have to do a lot, uh, the results overall are better and you save lives. And that runs directly against the logic of, of neoliberal policymaking, which says do as little as possible for as long as you have to. And you only do more if you are forced into it. But the problem with this virus is that the point at which you're forced into doing more makes the more you do that much more useless. And you have to be you have to actually get ahead of it as opposed to just sort of be uh, chasing behind it and desperately trying to sort of you can't negotiate with it. You can't compromise with it. You can't uh, argue you know, uh, policy points or public relations with it. You either, you either come up with policies that will work or more people die. That's it. There is no, there's no kicking the can down the road. This isn't like the deficit. This isn't like leaving the EU. This isn't like NAFTA. You can't just bullshit your way through this for four years and hope that, you know, down the road there'll be an election and COVID will be swept out. Uh, uh, and that'll be that. You know, you can't retire uh, uh, as an elder statesman and COVID is dealt with by the next generation. We have to deal with this now or we should have been dealing with this now. And the problem is our political, we think of the world that way. They still really do seem to believe that you can just sort of wait it out. You can, you can, uh, you know, stretch out the problem uh, as long, flatten the curve, Right. You know, the problem, we can't do anything about the problem, but what if we make the problem sort of so normal that people just get used to it, right? Like if we, if, we, if people are dying of COVID at rates that aren't crazy, but are just high enough that people are okay with it, that's basically the best you can expect from, from neoliberalism. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> two notes. Uh, number one, I was revisiting, uh, um, uh, it was actually... A nice little infographic that Forbes magazine put out back in March uh, that was comparing uh, the coronavirus pandemic to other, like in, in terms of its scope and its size and how many people it's killed, comparing it to other pandemics um, throughout human history. And, you know, of course, at the time, um, it was just a, a tiny, muddy little pimple on this graph. It basically was didn't even register as a, 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 as a blip. But now that uh, months and months have passed... Um, if I'm reading this correctly, <clears throat> COVID-19, as it currently stands, um, just, you know, just over a year after it started, is already the ninth largest pandemic uh, in terms of number of human lives lost in recorded human history. Uh, so that's putting it, so we're at, what, one and a half million now? <clears throat> so that puts it between the 17th century Great Great Plagues, which uh, in uh, which killed about three million people, and the Asian. I got great right there in the name. Yeah, <laughs> you did. Uh, and uh, and the Asian flu of the 1950s, which killed uh, 1.1 million, and uh, we're still going, folks. Slightly less fortunate name on the Asian flu. Yeah, <laughs> at least Trump wasn't able to get away with that one. Yes. Well, I, so I I. I, I... I think that one was just in Asia was the thing. It was, it was the flu. Just to also kind of extrapolate on the points you guys were making uh, earlier, uh, especially you, Mac, um, you know, with, with Joe Biden. I mean, th this is in, in keeping with the, you know, storied history of liberals making grand campaign problem uh, promises and then spending the next 
four years making excuses as to why they can't do them. Um, you know, it started with Biden uh, de- demanding Trump make a, you know, have a national mask mandate. Why don't we have a national mask mandate? And then they were asked, like, oh, okay, so if you're president, are, are you going to make a national mask mandate? And then it was like, oh, well, you know, maybe not a national mask mandate. We don't actually have the the, we, the the jurisdiction and the authority to do that outside of federal buildings. So maybe we'll just kind of ask people really nicely, which obviously isn't going to do anything because uh, the people that are going to be wearing masks are wearing them already. And, you know, Pre- President Joe Biden asking people really nicely to, to do that isn't going to fucking change anything. Um, <clears throat> compounding on the point that I made earlier about 40% of Americans not wanting to take a vaccine even if it's available um i mean it's it's uh it's 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 a fucking shit show like it's just this isn't gonna end uh yes national mass suggestion mac exactly um so yeah i i i don't uh i don't i don't see the the biden administration uh really getting a handle on this at all uh i don't see them really doing anything at all um other than other than making excuses as to why they can't do anything, much like the Liberal Party of Canada with things like, uh, you know, the electoral reform and uh, promising that, uh, you know, First Nations communities will have, uh, you know, potable fucking water. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, we, we really are, uh, we really truly are cruising through the cool zone. Uh Unless you guys had any other points to add on to that, I might suggest um yeah i mean given that that trump is is uh you know we're we're he's at least not going to be president anymore so i thought it was maybe a a good opportunity for us right now to maybe revisit some of our favorite moments from the donald trump presidency uh it was of course a a wild roller coaster of bullshit and uh, scandals and nonsense. Uh, but there were, I mean, I, I have, um, three items myself that I, I noted here. I would say at the top of my list by far is person, woman, man, camera, TV. That was just amazing. Uh, so if you're not familiar, uh, Donald Trump did some sort of cognitive test. I can't remember what it was, but it was basically a test to see if he had dementia or not. And he, he aced the test. It was unbelievable. He did better than anybody has ever done on this test. And then he was, he was just talking to the fucking TV, uh, the, the guy interviewing him who was just kind of puzzled. Uh, and he was saying like, what a great job he did on this test where he had to recite person woman man camera tv <laughs> it was just fucking amazing i said to the doctor it was dr ronnie jackson i said is there some kind of a test an acuity test and he said there actually is and he named it whatever it might be and it was 30 or 35 questions the first questions are very easy the last questions are much more difficult uh like a memory question it's uh like you'll go person woman man camera, TV. So they say, could you repeat that? So I said, yeah. So it's person, woman, man, camera, TV. Okay, that's very good. If you get it in order, you get extra points. If you, okay, now he's asking you other questions, other questions, and then 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes later, they say, remember the first question? Not the first, but the 10th question. Give us that again. Can you do that again? And you go, person, woman, man, camera, TV. If you get it in order, you get extra points. They said, nobody gets it in order. It's actually not that easy. But for me, it was easy. And that's not an easy question. In other words, they ask it to you. They give you five names, and you have to repeat them. And that's OK. If you repeat them out of order, it's OK. But, but you know, it's not as good. But then when you go back about 20, 25 minutes later and they say, go back to that question. They don't tell you this. Go back to that question and repeat them. Can you do it? And you go, person, woman, man, camera, TV. They say, that's amazing. How did you do that? I do it because I have like a good memory because I'm cognitively there. What do you guys remember fondly? Uh, 
from the Trump presidency. Uh, uh, I fondly remember the part where I blacked out for the last four years. Um, <laughs> read into that what you will. Uh, oh, that and uh, Kavifi. Ah, yeah. I'm, who, who could forget? Do you think people should be concerned um, that the president posted somewhat of an incoherent tweet last night and that it then stayed up for hours? Uh, no. Why did it stay up so long? After Is, is no one watching this? No, I, I think the the, uh, the president and a small group of people know exactly what he meant. Like, yeah, that's all. Yeah, I don't know. I thought hamburgers was better, but that that's sort of a that's a matter of taste more than anything. Uh, my, my probably one of my top 10 favorite Trump sort of things, and it wasn't a single moment, but it was just his relationship with Alex Jones. Just in general, I every everything about it was hilarious. How like absolutely bizarre it was, but also just how he just kind of showed up on his show every so often to in and be like, Yep, it's me, the president. How's it going, Alex? You're doing great, you know. Great work. Bye. <laughs> I mean, the uh, the inauguration crowds was fun too. Uh, it's just a, he's been a real he's been a real uh, joyful fellow this this whole time. Yeah, the 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 cognitive test is 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 a good one, but honestly, I think just his general the every pretty much every single speech he gave was pretty funny. Like, I can't remember one that wasn't just sort of bizarre in some really weird and pointless way where, uh, oh, I know, a classic one, that weird stance he gave that looked like it was physically impossible during a speech that, where he was, like, <laughs> heaving forward while at the same time still standing up straight somehow and, like, looking at it, it looks impossible. And that's sort of, I guess uh, a, a, a metaphor for his whole presidency is like it's there, it's happening, it's really happening before your eyes, even though it looks impossible. That's sort of Donald Trump's whole career, really. Yeah, I just want to say, looking back at the last four years of this presidency, you know, I hate to seem biased towards more recent memory and well, sorry, more recent history. And sure, part of this is just because, as my mother always tells me, I got a good memory, but it's short. Um, but the way that the ridiculousness of Trump's presidency just snowballed right up until this election and probably will continue to do so until January when Biden's inaugurated. Uh, but just the, the way that the antics kind of escalated. I mean, yeah, first he's kind of lying, uh, just insane, spinning insane lies about the number of people that were at his own inauguration. And then, you know, fast forward four years and he's holding a press conference at the wrong four seasons in Philadelphia. Uh, the four seasons total landscaping on the outskirts of Philly, right between an adult bookstore and a cremation center. So it's like towards the end of the campaign, Trump's presidency, or sorry, towards the end of Trump's presidency, his presidency was already actively satirizing itself. You know, there's simply no subtext anymore. It's all on the surface and you just can't help but keel over laughing, I guess. I don't get it when people say about Trump that it's, it's all surface. There's no subtext. I mean, what the fuck? It, what, what is the surface you're talking? Oh, it's so he obvious no what's going on here. Only, he's always saying. No, it's not. It's not at all obvious what has been going on with Trump at all. He's a confusing mess of dumb ideas, and none of which seem to have a clear and obvious source. It's 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 all subtext. That's what I'm saying. There is no surface. He is a featureless blob that's just like an infinitely dense ball of confused suet. That's all he is. There, there is no, there is no surface. I haven't brushed up on my readings in hyperbolic geometry recently, but we might be saying the same thing. Probably are. <laughs> it's like a, uh, yeah.
Well, uh, another favorite moment of mine personally uh, during the uh, Trump presidency was when he was being, I can't remember who he was being interviewed by. Uh, He was some evangelical Christian guy, but he claimed to have invented the word fake. Uh, He he initially uh, said that he, he, he coined the term fake news, but then even doubled down on it and said that he coined the term fake. He says, oh, well, the media is is really the word I, I think one of the greatest of all terms I've, I've come up with is fake. I guess other people have used it perhaps over the years, but I've never noticed it. And in the same interview, uh, claimed that he uh, coined the phrase prime the pump. He's like, oh, it sounded great. You know, it just rolled off the tongue. It's like I it was genius. You know, I thought <laughs> it was it was a, it was a great thing I invented. Um, and well, he came up with that one in the 80s when he was doing coke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that it was like a term for masturbation he picked up from Stormy Daniels in the adult film industry. And I also really liked uh, this was <clears throat> I think this was very early on in in the presidency. But um, it, it he, he demonstrated uh, a total lack of a- abstract thought or sense of humor uh, when he was asked by a journalist, uh, George W. Bush said the reason the Oval Office is round is that there are no corners that you can hide in. Trump responds, well, there's truth to that. There's truth to that. There are certainly no corners. And you look, there's a certain openness, but there's nobody out there. You know, there's an openness, but I've never seen anybody out there, actually, as you could imagine. <laughs> the journalist responds, but he, what, what he meant was all comes, Trump says, sure, sure. Back to you. Sure, it does. But, you know, I think it's true anyway. But it does. There's no question. <laughs> he just... I mean, that's profound. That is enlightened idiocy. That brings me back to the Tao of Pooh. Anyway, any any other um, uh, golden Trump moments that you will probably never forget for as long as you live? I uh, the, the big one for me... And it's it, there's, there's thousands of moments that are, I'm going to say in this one moment, but... The way in which the media felt or was, but probably mostly felt completely obliged to constantly take everything he says totally seriously, <laughs> regardless, regardless of any context at all. Like it was almost to the point where even if Donald Trump was using metaphors and symbolism, it's like the media couldn't even understand him at that point like they it was all he it was like they just had to assume everything he said was as direct and literal as he said it because to be fair he's kind of an unclear bat blabber mouth but also whenever he said something clearly stupid how they just sort of tried to like well it's, he's the president of the united states and like he's the pope and anything he says is just sort of the truth and you have to just accept this it was kind of it's probably the single hilarious thing about all of this because all this stuff happens like you know a guy can say kofifi in on twitter and if you're anyone else on earth it just doesn't matter but when it's the president and you as a journalist know that he's not going to just say i typed in a word wrong you just can't help yourself but turn it into this really important question like, what did you mean by that? And it's like, yeah, you know what I meant. And then they're like, well, what did he really mean? And then they go off into this weird um, other space of like logic and reason, you know, can like, like as if we all have to become like linguist majors just to understand what Trump's saying and how he's saying it now, instead of just the rather obvious point that the word he was trying to spell was coverage. And we all just pretend that that didn't happen. And in fact, that Kofifi is some deep, insightful meaning because it has to be because he's the fucking president now. It can't just be a spelling error. He has to be telling us something. Well, one thing that I will definitely not miss from the last four years is the incessant pearl clutching uh, from liberals and the Russiagate... um, just psychosis uh, that American liberals engaged in where it was just, you know, I got called uh, a Trump supporter uh, so many times on fucking Reddit because I would criticize Joe Biden. And it's like, you know, I I must be a fucking Russian bot or I must be a a, a Trump supporter or, uh, or any criticism 
of the Democratic Party uh, or uh, w- was instantly met with, you know, Russia. Oh, it's Russia. You must be a Russian bot. And, um, you know, it, it, it was just a, um, I think, um, what's his nuts? Um, Glenn Greenwald said it was a, a conspiracy theory from like a poorly written Tom Clancy novel or something like that, uh, where it was it, like just totally deranged. Like R- Russiagate was the most dumb shit uh, and it was just exhausting, uh, listen, like hearing this constantly from liberals. Now, I think, um, the other side of the coin, you know, we, we heard someone that was, I guess, loosely affiliated with the Trump campaign was, was blaming, uh, Trump's electoral loss on Cuba and Hugo Chavez who died in 2013 and China. So I think we're going to see something sort of similar from the Republicans, but I don't really care. Uh, I'm just going to be happy to not have to hear about fucking Russia all of the goddamn time. I've got some very bad bad news for you, Ben. That conspiracy theory is not going away. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, if, if you can, if you criticize Joe Biden na- right now, you will be called a Russian bot. Uh, and I don't expect that after the, after the nomination, that's going to change. I think that is going to be the criticism for people to make online if you criticize the Democrats from here on out. That's it. You're, that is the, it's the, it's simple. It's easy. People already know about it. Uh, and as far as the people who were making it before, thinking who thought it was true, they still think it's true, Right. Like if you if you actually thought the Russians are using bots or paying people to like call them an asshole on Facebook, they're probably still doing that, right? Like the whole thing was about fermenting division or whatever. So obviously, Ben, you're still doing that. You're still fermenting division. Therefore, you're still a Russian bot. Therefore, the conspiracy theory is, if anything, going to be just reinforced all the more. God, After all, God damn it's it! Not like the, it's not like there's an elect. It, it, it's not even like there's an election going on. Trump's gone. So it can't be just it can't be internal to the United States or whatever that people are criticizing the Democrats. It has to be from the outside. After all, the Democrats won. You know, you you don't have criticism of a political party from within the country when they're in power. That just doesn't happen. <laughs> right. Uh, ben, what's the going rate for working as a Russian bot these days, and where can I sign up? Well, they pay you in rubles. Um, obviously, it has to get um, funneled through one of George Soros's shell companies, um, and it can, you know, sometimes they've been late on their payments, you, sometimes, and their HR department isn't super helpful. I mean, you have to wait on hold for sometimes like 25 minutes, and then they they have a really thick Russian accent, so you can't really understand everything that they're saying, and <clears throat> you know it's it's kind of just uh, I don't know it's it's frustrating, but you know you make it you make a good twenty twenty two dollars an hour uh, you know doing it, but you just have to convert it from rubles to Canadian dollars, which is contingent upon you know foreign exchange rates and whatnot, so it kind of varies. Uh, honest day's work. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Well, it's it's basically just skip the dishes for opinions, right? It's- <laughs> it's the same kind of format you know it depends on how many you get in a day you gotta like think through them you know if you want to do it on weekends only you know it's a good for a little bit of cash if you need a you know extra job but uh yeah i wouldn't do it full time i mean that's that being a being a provocateur online is uh you know it's good money if you can get yeah, I mean it is stressful. You know, you have to. It, there's a there's a lot of um, you know vitriol and and conflict. So you kind of have to have thick skin and 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 whatever. But uh, it's it's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. That's for sure. Also, people catch you out all the time. You wouldn't think they do, but they're actually people on the internet are really clever. They like you got to be really really subtle with what you say about anything because people will figure out you're a Russian bot like right. <laughs> well, well um, I mean, not everybody, not everybody will. I was just reminded of how the whole Jordan Peterson Slavoj Zizek debate became a thing because Jordan Peterson accidentally started debating a Slavoj Zizek bot on Twitter. No, no, I like the idea that 
it, 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 it is it is almost one of those like philosophy 101 things where it's like Jordan Peterson thinks he's talking to Slavo Zizek, but the opinions that that bot is putting out are actually Slavo Zizek's real life opinions. And so, you know, is he, and, and the fact that that leads into a debate with the real man who I can only think like when Jordan Peterson met the real Slavo Zizek, he was like, no, this isn't the real man. The real man was the one I was talking to online. Yeah. No, it's a classic Turing test for consciousness, right? You get set up talking to an AI, a human speaking to an AI interface. And if they can't tell that it's an AI, then lo and behold, it's effectively conscious. Uh, it's kind of a janky test, if you ask me. But You know, um, I actually, uh, I'm glad I just searched this up. Um, so speaking of debates between great minds like Jordan Peterson and Slavoj Žižek. Uh, actually, in tomorrow, Yanis Varoufakis and John Bolton are going to be debating each other, and it will be live on YouTube. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. What the fuck? <laughs> 2020 continues to deliver. You know, what's funny is I, I'm not sure who's wasting whose time with that one <laughs> uh, like i was gonna say like don't like don't they both have something better to do and then i'm like well probably not actually they're both like you know, this is this is you know might as well right i mean if you had the chance to debate john bolton you'd take it wouldn't you i don't know i mean what are they gonna debate about they're gonna fucking ask whether the united states should buy greece or invade it like no the i don't know the topic, <laughs> the topic is, is is global stability a pipe dream oh way better way be is it uh, yeah yeah is it gonna be like one of those things where they're both like well we both say yes and no at the same time but in different <laughs> ways and related to different things well i guess we'll agree to disagree well, John Bolton would say, well, you know, global stability is totally possible if the United States could just bomb everyone into the fucking Stone Age, and then Yanis Varoufakis is going to say, actually, that's not a good idea. I don't think you should do that. Yeah, but you see, that's the problem, is you got to stick with the actual... This is, this is debate 101 decorum. You have to just stick to the actual question of the debate. And I think a, 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 a planet bombed into the Stone Age is one in which global stability has been achieved. And so Yanis Varoufakis would have to be like, you know what? Under the conditions of this debate, I believe my honorable opponent has won the debate and he has convinced me that, in fact, global stability is possible. Uh, we just all have to be dead. And then they go. Why are they debating global stability of all the years? <laughs> no, <laughs> just say no. <laughs> so um, I guess maybe to finish off this conversation, we got about um, 10, 15 minutes left here. Uh, we were talking a little bit uh, before we started recording about the looming uh, unemployment crisis, if it wasn't already one. Uh, so here in Canada, uh, Mac, from what you mentioned earlier, the coronavirus pandemic, uh, employment insurance, and uh, the the wage subsidies for businesses that have been going through to try to desperately prop up the the crumbling fucking economy are going to be revoked soon, thereby uh, putting our unemployment rate at over twenty percent, which is in uh, Great Depression uh, territories. Um, what do you guys see coming in the in the coming months at the at the very least until uh, governments can run out the clock on a on a on a vaccine distribution, which is another thing we can talk about. I, I think that we are in the first year of the like a, a Great Depression period. Um, and I just say just to I, I, I tell people to look to read about the, the first Great Depression uh, you know, following the Wall Street crash and all that, uh, the a the markets didn't collapse nearly as much as they have this year. But more importantly, uh, the economy was actually okay for about a year, uh, a half or so. Uh, the, the the downturn in the stock market didn't have any immediate direct impact on on uh, on a lot of people, other than bank failures and like loss of um, personal funds, which was bad, but. You know, mostly people were still working. Mostly the economy was still happening. But the problem is, is this all started to have knock-on effects throughout the rest of the economy. 
And I guess all I'd say is I think going forward, what we're going to see is the knock-on effects of the coronavirus is going to have on the rest of the economy. It's dramatically reduced uh, economic output. And that, on the one hand, you could sort of imagine and just sort of say, well, that doesn't matter. We'll just keep the rest of the economy going. But it is all interrelated. And the money that is owed by one part of the economy, if it's not paid, it has impacts on the rest of it. That's basically what happened in 2008 with the mortgage collapse. The, you know, the fact that Americans couldn't pay their mortgages meant that businesses all around the world went under and manufacturing suffered too. I think the same sort of thing's going to happen uh, in, uh, you know, maybe in 2021, but it will happen uh, one way or the other. Either that or governments will have to just keep spending more and more money uh, and eventually that's going to have its own problems through deflation and or inflation and then even worse than that possibly deflation it's bad 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 that's what I think. yeah um i i don't really have anything to add beyond that i i agree with mac entirely and at a certain point the keynesian rubber band has to snap um it's not gonna be pretty you know, uh, you know, the, the, the mortgages that people are going to be unable to pay, those account for the, the kind of composition of a lot of uh, finance at all different levels. And so it could kind of have a cascade effect in terms of economic collapse. I don't know um, what kind of a, a latency period between now and the time where we really feel those effects. I don't really know what to expect, given that. You know, um, household debt ratios and household savings are very stretched out, very thin already going into this pandemic. So, you know, it, it could be even less than a year. You know, it could be even within a couple of months, I suppose, that we start to see some of the more drastic effects of this economic crash starting to, to hit uh, average working people. But um, but I can't really predict beyond that. Well, I think... Um in the political sphere, we're definitely going to see a lot of, um, you know, similar things that w happened in the 1930s with, you know, the, the rise of fascist movements and conversely, the rise of, you know, communist movements and wildcat strikes and, and just basically the wholesale carving out of the, the political uh, political center um, in, in favor of, you know, uh, people being uh, pushed to either extreme, you know, one way or the other. Uh, so I, I do think, um, you know, if, if, if you thought that uh, 2020 was a, a crazy year for politics, well, fucking buck, buckle your seatbelts, everyone. Um, it's not not about to get uh, not about to get any better anytime soon. And, uh, you know, making predictions in a in a in, in during when you're in the cool zone is is not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not in that business, but I'm not uh, not going to say anything optimistic. Um, <clears throat> and uh also, a quick note about <laughs> the, the vaccine distribution here in Canada uh, for for uh, coronavirus. So uh, many many uh, Canadians were very disappointed to find out, um, you know, that that uh, Trudeau made an announcement that he expects that you know most Canadians will get vaccinated by wait for it next September or later. Um, and this is on account of Canada apparently not having any local production capability for vaccines. Uh, apparently, uh, up until the 1980s, uh, Canada once ha had a publicly owned pharmaceutical company uh, called uh, Connaught Labs, and it was, you know, quite quite a uh, well-known global um, company for, or publicly owned company, rather, for, for global medicine, developing treatments and vaccines for diseases and medical breakthroughs. And then Brian Mulroney's government in the 1980s sold it off to a French multinational. And now we're basically at the back of the bus uh, for receiving the uh, global uh, for, for the, the the vaccine. So uh, Jagmeet Singh uh, with the NDP has has called on Justin Trudeau's government to create a new crown corporation for such a purpose. But uh, I am not going to hold my breath for the Trudeau liberal government to uh, do anything of the sort. Yeah, especially when they don't have to, right? I mean, that's that's their whole the that's the whole idea is you only do things when you actually have to. And if you can convince people that 
you know, some people will get vaccinated at some point, and maybe most people will be vaccinated sometime next year, maybe. Uh, then if, if that if that's good enough, right, if that's good enough to win an election, essentially, then there's no reason to do any more than that. Um, and I do think that's basically where the liberals are at, because, like, why why bother creating a pharmaceutical company? Why bother going through all the hassle? It's a lot of work <laughs> for them. <laughs> so let's just not do that. Let's just, you know, people, people will put up with what we tell them to put up with and – and as long as that's true, then they're justified in everything they do. Uh, okay. Uh, Anthony, did you have any uh, any final thoughts on the vaccine or politics 2020? Anything? Either, either one of you guys? No. Uh, I guess we're running low on time. I kind of wanted to dunk on some of Biden's uh, cabinet and other like staff picks. But the moment's kind of gone. And we could always like do a whole other episode on that if we really wanted to. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, the sh- long and the short of it is that uh, they're not good, uh, and that the Democratic Party clearly represents the biggest of the bourgeois <laughs> interests, um, and the whole thing about, you know, that the obvious lie that Biden is, you know, the most progressive candidate in, in American history is utter nonsense. Uh, he was clearly the most conservative of all the uh, primary contestants within the Democratic Party, and he's going to govern as such. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that the, the next four years with Biden is probably just going to be excuse after excuse after excuse and half measure after half measure after half measure, if any measures at all. Um, so, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not optimistic, folks. Uh, I think it's going to be disappointing, to say the least. I've got two article titles here for you, which are just, you know, run-of-the-mill articles here in The Guardian and, uh, sorry, what is it? In The Guardian and The Washington Post. And, and, you know, the disparity between these two titles about Biden's incoming staffers and appointments, I think, is very telling of where we might be going with this administration. One is kind of like giving plaudits to the yas queen feminism brought in by the Kamala Harris crowd. And the title of the article is just Biden's first staff appointments include five women and four people of color. And then goes on to talk about, you know, how the new head of the DOD might have some modest feminist credentials as a powerful feminist white woman. And then the title of the other article is the much more telling Old school revolving door. Private sector ties complicate Biden's efforts to staff incoming administration. Two narratives. Yeah, but think of all the Pell Grant recipients who've started a business that has operated in for three years or more in a disadvantaged community <laughs> that are going to benefit from this administration. Oh, woe is me to forget such a thing. I still don't know what a Pell Grant is. Yeah, me neither. Maybe it's an American thing. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think that's probably a good place to leave it. Um, again, everyone, uh, listeners, uh, apologies for the extended hiatus. We took a little bit of an unannounced break, uh, but, uh, you know, we're back. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thank you very much to our patrons who we love and appreciate very much. Um, I actually just got a new uh, order uh, shipment of swag in. We have fridge magnets and coasters and stickers. Uh, so uh, patrons will be receiving that fairly soon. Once I get back out of quarantine, I can finally go back to the post office. Uh, and um, actually, we were going to put out uh, just maybe a quick uh, casting call for uh, people who might want to get involved in the Out of Left Field podcast. Uh, putting on, uh, doing a, a podcast is, is a surprising amount of work. Uh, and, uh, you know, if, if you're, if you like the show, uh, especially if you live in the Victoria area um, and want to get involved, then, uh, and th- not necessarily as a co-host, uh, but, you know, if you want to help do uh, research for episodes helping to uh, organize uh, and uh, get guests on the show, um, help with the website, any number of things. You know, if you like the show, you want to help out, then, you know, get in touch with us on Twitter at RealUlf or send us an email at outofleftfieldpodcast at gmail.com. 
and uh, you know we, we're open to uh, to to getting some more people within our project. So, um, that being said, now hiring unpaid interns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Our Check con- out out of left field's casting couch for more information. <laughs> yeah, our our communist uh, project needs unpaid interns to to help out with it. The irony. Uh, so that's that folks thanks for listening thanks for tuning in we hope you enjoyed the show um, and as always uh, you know please stay safe out there please for the love of fucking god follow the quarantine rules wear a goddamn mask uh, and uh, just try to stay safe try not to get sick and, and uh, we'll uh, weather this storm as best we can together yeah yeah no it's, it's really important you gotta stay safe and um, yeah I'm gonna go to the bar nice one Mac alright see you next time folks later what you think I'm joking come on (laughs)